a lot of families know someone who has died. It's sad on Facebook when you see people having GoFundMes for funerals, almost like COVID related. That's Seanel Damon. She is leading the epidemiology response for the Navajo area Indian Health Service. She is our guest this week on the Akamema podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Danse Tawau and welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. Akamemuk is a Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And right now, the big issue is the COVID-19 pandemic. And no region or people have been hit as hard by COVID as the Navajo Nation in the American Southwest. It has the highest infection rate in the United States, worse than hot spots like New York or Florida. To find out how the Navajo Nation is managing, we turn to Seanel Damon, who is leading the epidemiology response for the Navajo Area Indian Health Service. Welcome, Seanel. Hi, thank you. So, Seanel... Why did COVID-19 hit the Navajo Nation so hard? I think when the pandemic started, we definitely took it very serious. And a lot of the Navajo Nation and the Indian Health Service and the 638s did assemble instant command structures um, far back as February. However, when the um, pandemic hit us, it hit a small community. And um, when we tested our first case, they went to a church and there were other cases connected to the first cases um, from a church setting. So one person, you know, multiplied into a few more people, and then it, it just kept growing from there. Do you think the impact it had out on the Navajo Nation? Because I know up here in Canada, we have 96 isolated communities, 96 fly-in communities where there's no road. And there's a lot of overcrowded housing, lack of, lack of access to potable water. Did that have an impact down at the Navajo Nation in terms of lack of water or health facilities or overcrowded housing? Yes. So those are the major reasons why we have had a hard time containing the um, the virus. So we do live in multi-generational housing where, the, you know, there's young people all the way to elders in one home. Houses where 10 people have lived in the house and one person had gotten it. And I've heard good news, too, that they actually contained it and that family very well to just that one person. Um, but they took really strict cleaning schedules and had that person in one room. So that one was actually kind of one of the success stories that we have. We also have uh, a lot of communities and a lot of families with no running water. So uh, we have to uh, make sure we educate people and say, okay, pour a little cap full of bleach into your communal water so that you can wash your hands. And then now we have more um, humanitarian efforts coming that help set up the water dispensing stations, um, the president of the Navajo Nation has been working very hard with other communities and chapters to make sure that there's gas and propane that are given out, food, prevention and hygiene items. And then there has been a water team that has been to the Navajo Nation from the CDC. I'm hoping and praying that more people get water in their households mm-hmm. so that they can go forward in the future and be more comfortable as like most Americans are living in houses with water. It's, it's really rare to have water on the Navajo Nation. We've talked about the isolation up here in Canada, and we, we talked about some of the uh, 
uh, lack of access to potable water mm -hmm. and the overcrowded that makes it uh, makes it a bit of a challenge in terms of dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Were there similar issues with uh, up here? We call it PPE, you know, personal protective equipment like rubber gloves, uh, face masks, gowns, hand sanitizers. Was that an issue down in your nation down there as well? Yes. When the pandemic first hit, we did not have enough PPE. We did not have enough sanitizer. We didn't have the luxurious stuff that you would get in the city because we lived in such a rural community. And also because there was such a decline of it being manufactured from China. So we did not have the, the recommended PPE that we needed to protect our, our first, our front line and, you know, our first responders and just our ourselves within the community. So those were definitely things that we needed. We have um, a, my, a whole bunch of health disparities. Um, and with that, um, and not having the proper PPE and uh, protection mechanisms to protect us from the, the virus, uh, that also helped, you know, pass the virus on to more people, unfortunately. Okay. That's a similar situation up here in Canada. Uh, we've told governments and officials, healthcare officials, that if it ever hits our, our territories, our community, First Nations, because of the overcrowded housing and lack of access to good quality PPE, uh, it would really be a terrible thing, it, really tough to contain. So it's a similar situation down there. It's, it's interesting to see right. how that is. We had to get creative. And so we definitely, even at the Navajo area and at other 638s and other hospitals, we have women... Um, making PPE gowns. Uh, we bought the material from Home Depot. So daily there's all these women's making grounds. And then we also, you know, had to use like welding shields for our face shield back then at the beginning of the, of the pandemic. So we didn't have a lot of stuff, but we've come a long way since then. Uh, we didn't have the correct N95s. And so we're definitely um, more aware of the correct ones to buy. And uh, so those are some of the issues that we had as a, a facility trying to maintain the spread of COVID. Is it getting better now, access to the PPE and the, the C95 face masks and everything else? Is there a bit of a plan now? Is it as a stress of that, not having access to good quality PPE right away? Is that getting better at all? Yes, it's totally has gotten so much better. Um, there are definitely, their supplies are slowly coming in and um, we're thankful for wherever they're coming from. We've gotten a lot of donations. Um, from handmade face masks to um, gloves and PPE sent through the mail from different people throughout the United States. And then we were also able to purchase some. And then, of course, the national stockpile, I think we're able to get us um, some um, protection gear. Now, was there a moment at the start of this pandemic when you knew that things were going to be out of control? I think once we got the first case, it was definitely eye-opening. And then if you would have asked us then if we were going to have as many cases as we have now, I would have said, no, we'll contain it. What is the current status right now? Uh, the current status are 6,378 on June 11th, and we've had 298 deaths, unfortunately. Okay. And a lot of the deaths are really hit home. A lot of families know someone who has died. It's, it's sad on Facebook when you see um, people having GoFundMes for funerals. And they're all mostly COVID-related. Now, those deaths, are they a lot of the elders, elderly people? Or what's the makeup of the, the passing? So, yes, the majority is the higher um, risk population, over 65. But I think our youngest that we had was a 15-year-old who had passed. It's terrible and tragic. 
Now, dealing with, uh, we can't say that the flattening of the curve really is, is happening down in the Navajo Nation at all, but how much have uh, you or the people down there relied on uh, some of our First Nations traditions and medicines or ceremonies? Uh, have Has the Navajo Nation looked inwards to some of their internal Navajo ceremonies or practices to help deal with this COVID-19 pandemic? That's one of our best kept secrets and our strength comes from our own medicine within our own tribe and our own uh, nation. So I can say that a lot, a lot of prayer and a lot of sage being burned and cedar. Uh, right now we're trying to pause on gatherings. So those are hard to have ceremonies when um, we're, we have a pause to protect our traditional people also to make sure they don't become exposed to anybody that they don't need to be exposed to. So I definitely think there is a lot of probably prayer, sage, teas, herbals that the elders have used within the family and, you know, just that strong belief and connection. Those are what we're practicing, but we also, to flatten the curve, we're using contact tracers. Um, we're using our epi team as response to the hot spots so that we know where we need to do more testing. And at the same time, um, we are focusing in on, you know, making sure that there's health education, public health messaging and community mitigation. And that's where the water resources and our teams come together to help strategically fight COVID-19. So the messaging up here, and uh, I assume it's going to be the same down there about constantly washing your hands, uh, the physical distancing and self-isolation. Those seem to be the three big themes up here. Would that be similar down in your territory as well? Those are all the same. Uh, we do um, we recommend wearing um, face masks out in public. We also recommend staying home whenever possible, sending one person into the store, uh, making sure you're wiping down you know, the gas uh, gaskets when you're getting gas and the handles, and then making sure that, trying to make sure that we're staying away from other people that might be coming over, protecting our elders, having signs up to say, you know, not accepting visitors right now. Those are some of the things that um, we're trying to incorporate in the community. And at the same time, keep on with our public health messaging that, you know, we need to stay mm -hmm. home. And when you stay home, there's no risk. Well, that's very virus. similar up here in, in our territories up here in Canada mm -hmm. as well. Um, has the Navajo Nation gone into a lockdown in terms of your borders, like only allowing um, essential services in and out or, and, or keeping your Navajo people in the Navajo Nation's lands and territories? Uh, that, I guess I call it the mobility issue, uh, but it's really protecting your people from external people coming in and out. So what have you done in that regard? So I don't think the Navajo Nation has um, did an external lockdown like that, but they have an internal one. And it's not really called a lockdown, it's called a curfew. Um, but we have incorporated mm -hmm. the curfew from 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. And then there was also a weekend curfew which was um, 57 hours starting on Friday and it, and it was lifted on Monday mornings at 5 a.m. So those curfews were some of the um, uh, preventive uh, mechanisms that we used to implement to help maintain the spread of COVID-19. And those were very strict mechanisms. People had gotten citations up to $1,000 if they were cruising around mm -hmm. and not out um, to get, you know, you could go and go get medical care or essential business. But other than that, if you didn't have the proper documentation and you were out cruising, you'd get a ticket. So is there any particular lessons you can say that you've learned to prevent this from happening again in uh, the Navajo Nation? I think as from an epidemiology response, um, 
our lessons learned were that, you know, we need to keep our epidemiology team strengthened and we need to have the correct software to make sure that we can continue to follow any outbreak, whether it be influenza, STIs, and a new novel virus, just like COVID-19. So we definitely want to make sure that we keep our epidemiology response teams between the Navajo Nation and the Indian Health Service and the community um, to continue to uh, maintain and, and, and grow and learn more about other diseases. Also, um, I think lessons learned, we're more prepared now. I thought, you know, considering that we have such health disparities and we only have five major clinics um, spread out throughout the Navajo Nation, we've been able to, you know, maintain the influx of patients within our healthcare systems. Um, and so I think that those are the major lessons learned, you know, being prepared to make sure we can mitigate the virus. and. Mm-hmm. I think that we established what we could on time. Um, We got a lot of ventilators when we didn't have any. We were able to expand and get isolation um, hotels. We were able to set up uh, alternate care sites. So these are the things and our accomplishments that we've had as the virus has come. And this has been, you know, through partnerships with the Navajo Nation again, Indian Health Service, private corporations like Johns Hopkins, um, CORE. A lot of people have come to help us out. Um, mm-hmm. And so those are the things that we, um, I think, have, at least for me on the epidemiology response part, I want to make sure that our team is continuing to monitoring all viruses and all new strands um, from here on out and not just assembling the team just because of COVID. Okay. I think that one of the lessons up here in Canada as well for a lot of the First Nations is uh, they need to have a really good, clear pandemic plan, um, access to good PPE. Uh, making sure even food security was an issue in a lot of reserves, First Nations, in the sense of making sure there's adequate food supply and water supply. And uh, going forward, that was one of the big lessons learned up here in Canada was to have a really clear uh, pandemic plan in place and that the First Nations leadership is involved with, uh, up here we call them provincial governments, um, chief medical officers as well from the provinces, and even federally to have a plan in place. So is that similar teaching down in the States as well? Yes, and we definitely want to increase surveillance. So that was one of the big things. So all the things that you were doing up there, we're trying to do down here. I, I think the one thing that, like I said, had worked before for us or is working now is the contact tracing, which mm-hmm. is really hard to implement even in a regular setting um, in the city. And the contact tracers, uh, you know, once there's somebody that is positive, we make contact with all the people that they've been in contact with. And we let them know that they've been exposed, you know, and we try to really kindly and empathetically um, talk them into staying home and isolating um, for 14 days. And then we also follow them for 14 days. And this even happens when people are um, exposed and and then they test negative. We still follow them. So through these public health measures, we're hoping that we can get the containment of the virus. And then also with the, you know, the curfews. Um, hopefully that we can um, slow the spread of this virus. Now with the cities opening up and things becoming more lax outside the reservation, a lot of people think, oh, okay, we don't need to take this very seriously or we can just protect ourselves wearing a mask and you know staying six feet away. I think that allows us to be less vigilant and protecting ourselves as people and our children and our elders. So those are some of the things that I want to make sure that as, as COVID-19 continues on, and it's going to continue on even in fall because that oh it's going to stop in the summer and it, we're right here in the summer, um, and so we want to make sure that we continue to maintain 
those public health measures of washing hands, staying home when all the time when necessary. If you have that privilege to make sure that you stay home, protect your elders, um, don't put yourself in unnecessary risk. And a lot of people are still gathering. They're still having birthday parties, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, gatherings. And you need one person to come in. And that's all you need, just like how we started this pandemic on the Navajo Nation. And that's a good way to, to close in terms of the public messaging going forward. Thanks, Chanel. Thank you, Chief. That was Chanel Damon, and she is leading the epidemiology response for the Navajo Area Indian Health Service. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemic podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for, for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.